Last week we uh, last week we we uh, heard the the saying that says uh, keep this in mind water the thirsty seek water but water seeks the thirsty as we unpack um, can, can we lower this a little bit Steve as we unpack this gospel uh, I'd like for us to keep in mind that. Uh, that the light of the world comes into the, into the world, and it shall not be denied. But some will rise to the light, but some will, will sink in, in, into darkness. In Luke's gospel, Simeon holds the baby Jesus up and he says, this child is destined to be the rise and fall of many in Israel. Some will be enlightened and be encompassed by the light. Others will be benighted and lost in the dark. All of us, every one of us here today, has the potential for both. Rising to light, falling into the dark. What's amazing, in, in this gospel, Jesus sees the man born blind. And unlike the synoptics where where the blind people sit on the side of the road and they say, Jesus, like Bartimaeus, son of David, have pity on me. The blind man doesn't say a word. He is used to his blindness. He is both physically blind and at this point, spiritually blind. Jesus seeks him out. Why? Because the divine light seeks its creation wants all of its creation to be fully alive, to see clearly, to be spiritually mature. That's the nature of the divine. Now the disciples are caught in their story, their narrative. And of course the narrative says, and we've heard the narrative a thousand times, we even hear it today, the narrative says, well, if, if something bad happened to you, there's a cause for it. There is a quid pro quo, so obviously someone sinned. Who sinned? his parents or, his, uh, or, or, or himself. Uh, I once uh, heard an evangelical preacher, a fundamentalist preacher, say, if you got cancer, what's your sin? And, of course, the answer is the answer that Jesus gives to his disciples. He says, are you crazy? Nobody sinned here. Why in the world are you sitting here with speculation? It's like the man in the ditch and the two priests and the Levites are arguing with each other whether they're going to be clean when they go to the temple, and so the man dies in the ditch. This is no time to ask origin stories. If Jesus could quote the Buddha, he would say, when you, sh when you are shot with a poison arrow, it is not the time to ask where the feathers came from. <laughs> it's time to act. And he acts. He doesn't speculate. He doesn't philosophize. He gets down, and as he's talking, he's making clay at exactly the same time. It is the divine energy going outside of itself, the divine energy always to liberate. It's the light in man's darkness. He's going to be able to see in every sense of the word. Now, there, there's an, an urgency about what Jesus is doing. Because if he is the light of the world, we've got to work while it is daylight because the night is coming. And when the night comes, no one is going to be able to work. I've got to do what I do. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And so he goes out and 
and, and what's he do? And this is what he does. What do you do, Jesus? This is who I am. Watch me. Don't listen to my words. Watch what I do. I touch, I heal, I make whole. I raise the dead, the blind see, the lame walk. The poor hear really good news. And so what does he do? He reaches down and, and, and he's, he takes his spittle and he's putting it in the clay. We're in Genesis again. We are now where we're the divine spirit. Augustine says it's, it's Jesus' divinity which is in his spittle and he puts it into the dust of the earth. And we have this wonderful combination of the divine and that which is passing away. And, and all of a sudden, it, it has the power to heal. And what does he do? He takes the man to himself. He, he rubs his eyes with, with, uh, with his ointment, with his salve, with his mud. And then he says, go wash in the, the pool of, of Siloam. And the word Siloam means scent. One who is sent. This man's about to be sent. You know, if we are a follower of Jesus, if we're a disciple of Jesus, to go on mission is not an option. We are all sent. We are all sent to do what Jesus did, to proclaim and to be good news. So he is about to become a missionary. He doesn't know it yet, but he is, he is rising towards the light. In the spiritual life, there is always an, an evolutionary process of coming stronger, and there's always, always a conflict. There's always something to block the way. And the question is, how do you go through the conflict? Because we've seen the sun beating down on, on, on hard asphalt and a, a flower blooming right through it. That's the power of the light, and that's the power that's, that's touched this man. He is about to be sent now. This is an interesting little point, but I think it's, it's worth mentioning. Between the time that he's blind and the time that he's seeing, what's missing? It's exactly the same thing that was going on at the wedding feast at Cana. That's John 2. What's missing at that wedding feast? What's missing here? There's no bougie, 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 bougie you can see. He doesn't do any hocus-pocus. He doesn't do any magic. There's no wow factor at all. John doesn't like marvels. When people are marveling, he's not impressed at all. John isn't too big even on miracles. He never refers to whatever Jesus does, raising Lazarus from the dead, making the blind man see, turning water into wine. never calls it a miracle. It's a sign. Why? Because otherwise we're going to be miracle hunters. Let's see if Januarius' blood really coagulates and loosens up on the day that is his feast day. It doesn't transform us. It doesn't change us. We just go, wow, isn't that cool? That's not what John is interested in. He wants something much more profound. He wants something much deeper. So, so the neighbors, they're around him, and this is really interesting. The neighbors are, are around him, and they're arguing as we're unpacking this incredible gospel, they're arguing among themselves, they're going, hey, ain't that the guy who used to beg? I don't know. Looks like him. But this guy obviously sees. I'm, I'm not sure if he's, and they're talking back and forth. And, and he, uh, like a, a seedling going to the light, says something absolutely remarkable. He says, uh, I am. I am. 
Ego eimi. Uh, the first time we hear those words mentioned in the Bible is in, 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 in uh, uh, Moses going into the burning bush. And Moses asks, who are you? What name shall I tell the people? As you tell the people, I am. I am who am. In many ways, that could be none of your business, but Jesus picks up on it, and whenever they ask him who he was, and he says, you know, before there was Moses, before there were the prophets, I am. What is he saying? I and the Father are one. I am in communion with him now. I have a power with him now. And, 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 and so, and, and so he's, he now has... And aware of, this is a big deal. I mean, he's aware of the fact that there's a spark of divinity inside of him. There's something stronger than he as mud and clay is, and, and that's the divine power that has made him be able to see. So he's using exactly the same term. Egwe me, I am. Well, what did he do? How is it that you are seeing? Well, well the man named Jesus, he just knows the name. The man named Jesus uh, took uh, mud and, and he speared it on my eyes and, and now, now I'm, I'm able to see. And they're just utterly amazed, but they're not impressed. Because they are kind of like the disciples. Disciples are caught in their narrative. They are caught in their narrative. This man's been blind from birth. He's supposed to be blind. He's not blind. And, 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 and we're told, the theologians tell us that, that the neighbors begin to sink into, um, into, into, his, uh, into the darkness. And, and the reason they're, they're sinking into the darkness is, is because they can't rejoice with him. The, 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 this, this, this doesn't fit. There's something, there's something wrong with him. And, and so they, they, uh, they start sinking, and they want to make sure that they are right, so they bring him to the most righteous people on earth, the Pharisees. And they say to the Pharisees, uh, this man says he was born blind, but now he sees. Now, it's the Sabbath on which Jesus is healing, and you've heard me say before, you always wonder, what is Jesus doing from Monday to Friday? Why is he always waiting for the Sabbath? Well, he's, he's, and what's he doing on the Sabbath? He's working. If you're making mud bricks on, on, on a Sabbath, you're working. Occupational therapy. And so he's making this mud to smear on the man's eyes, and he's working. If he is working on the Sabbath, now we, we know what our categories are. We've heard the narrative. You may not work on the Sabbath. It's against God's commandment. Moses gave that to us. You are a sinner. You're a sinner. They got that cold. And then they asked the man, what happened? Well, the man named Jesus came and smeared mud on my eyes, and, and, and I was then able to see. And he says, well, what do you think of him? Now watch him. He's, he's growing. He's a, he's a prophet. Well, what's, a, what's a prophet? A prophet is a person who speaks in the name of the Lord. Now, they know that he broke the law. They know that he's a sinner. But this man opened the blind man's eyes. Human liberation 
versus the law. Experience, narrative. First-hand, life-giving work, the stories we've been told. They're going to have a problem with this. The Pharisees, for the Pharisees, they are having what's called cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance is when all of a sudden you know what you've been believed because you've been told the story since you were a child and now you've got an experience that just contradicts everything you've heard. What do you do with it? What do you do with it? Now there's an argument breaking out between the Pharisees because some of them say, well, he, if he's a sinner, then, then there's no reason that, that he was able to open up the eyes. And some say, well, we're not sure. We're, 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 we're kind of confused on this whole, whole matter. And, and cognitive distance is, is with us right now. As I said in the spiritual life, you cannot grow unless there's conflict. Here's the conflict. His eyes are open. He's broken the law. Although Jesus never, ever thought he was breaking the law when he was healing on the Sabbath. He's doing what God does. He's making whole. He's bringing light. He's healing. We, we see that today so clearly in, in uh, well, divorce. Well, the law, I mean, the biblical law. And they say it might even be ipsima verba out of Jesus' mouth is a teaching against divorce, really strict. And yet, look at there probably isn't a person in this chapel today who has not been touched by divorce, either in their own life or somebody that they know and love. And they know and love them. That's their experience. And so there's a real tension going on here. How do you resolve the tension? We know how the Pharisees are going to resolve the tension. They're going to reject what they see with their own eyes. But how do you do that? Young man comes to his parents and he comes out. Incredible cognitive dissonance. They know the law. The parents have been told this since they were little children that this is so ugly and terrible and it was always kept a secret. Now it's let out of the bag. And last night when I, when I preached this at, at another parish after, after Mass, one of the one of the men came up to me and he says, you know, my, my daughter just came out. We didn't know what to do. We, we were crestfallen. I said, well, is your daughter any different today than she was before you knew about it? Oh, no, she's the same beautiful, wonderful, loving person she was before. I said, then she still is. Yeah, but, but look at all of this. And he says, I'm having such a terrible time. I said, why? With you? With, with your wife? No, my wife accepts this. It's not a problem at all. With you? I don't know. Why? Well, my brother-in-law told me this is an abomination and she's going to hell. And I said, it sounds like he's making the judgment. And what does Jesus say about judgment? Whatever you judge, you can't see. The moment you've made a judgment, you are now Blind. That's the problem with the Pharisees. They're making the judgment. They're going blind because they've already got they've already got the number. They've got your number and its fractions. I said, now keep wrestling with this. And I and I really believe that that's the key. We are called to continue to wrestle with it. Our our desire is to settle the dust. 
Either everything goes, there's nothing wrong, anybody can do anything that they want to do, or nothing goes. It's only the law, the law. You keep the law, the law will keep you. Well, there is, they've got to be held in tension. Now, Christ was crucified on the coincidence of opposites between the vertical and the horizontal. And, and that will crucify, but that is how we grow. There is no grow without that. We know the Pharisees really want to get off the hook, and how they're going to get off the hook is to prove that he never was blind in the first place. So they call his parents, and his parents come in, and they say, was he born blind? And his parents aren't going to lie, but they're really afraid because they're doing a mini-inquisition on these two because they know the consequences of of. of of, of upsetting the Pharisees. And so they do tell the truth. But they say, well, then how does this possibly happen? And they say, uh, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. Well, this is pretty interesting because he is of age. Uh, he's going to have to answer for himself because if they answer for him, they're going to be thrown out of the synagogue. They're going to be excommunicated. And he is now about to be excommunicated because they call him back. And when they call him back, they say to him, uh, what do they say? They say, praise God. We know that, that, you, that he is a sinner. Tell us the truth. And they ridicule him. And then they say, you are his disciple. Truth, he's now his disciple. He's now a follower of the Lord, and he is not afraid to tell the truth to them. And he goes, give me a break. You called me in before. I told you the story before. I, 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 now you're calling me in. I'm telling you the exact same story. He put the eyes on my, you know, I, I told you I think that he's a prophet. Why are you calling me in again? And then he gets a real kicker line. He says, do you want to become one of his disciples? And I really think secretly some of them do. They've got to. I mean, there's a magnetism about that kind of light, that kind of truth that's going to call everybody to yourself. So he's being, I think some of them do. But they, they, but they dare not go there because they are, well, that would be going against their constitution they are the original originalists. And the originalists say, it's just the way that it was written and nothing ever changes. No, we evolve. Slavery was written in the words of Scripture, into the Bible. We evolve. We are learning. We are growing. The Spirit is still working. The Scripture is still being written, but not on pages. The Scripture today is being written in the human heart, and the human heart will only get it insofar as it exposes itself to the light. Exposes itself to light and hold the tension between the two. What do they do? The only thing they can do, they excommunicate him. They throw him out of the temple. He's now living on the margins. <laughs> Jesus' favorite place to go. He's now on the outside looking in, but he is really the ultimate insider because he now lives inside the heart of the divine. And Jesus catches up with him and he says, uh, Do you believe in the Son of Man? 
Oh, oh he, who is he, sir, so that I, I can believe? And Jesus says, you're looking at him. Eye contact. Huh? Grandma and grandpa and baby, eye contact. Downloading each other's soul. He is downloading the soul of, of, of the Lord, and the Lord is seeing himself reflected in the man who now can see, the man born blind. The Pharisees and the Jews hear this and they go, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. What do you mean you, you, you've come for judgment? Uh, you're, you're not saying that we are blind, are you? To which he responds, you know, there's no sin in being blind. And there's no sin even, even in being spiritual blind when you begin. Here's where the sin is. When you think you've got the answer. The scariest program on television is called Catholic Answers. We don't have the answer. We don't have the answer. We're learning the answer. The answer is written in our heart. You say you see. You're absolutely certain. And so your blindness remains. Our holy work, and it really is work, is to stay on the path, to continue working, to follow the light. For the light is the light of truth. And the truth, the truth, will set us free.